Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. I want to ask you a question straight out, flat out. I want you to give me the honest answer. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Well, Lloyd, that's difficult to say, and we really don't... Hit me with it! Just give it to me straight. I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just, least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! I read you. No reason of showing that video. I just want a cheap laugh. Why is that such a funny video? I mean, it's a classic, isn't it? Because, because she's telling him no, right? We are, the two of us will not end up together. And then she puts it in terms of one in a million, the odds, right? So she's putting together odds. And then his initial facial expressions are, okay, I get this. We'll never be together. And then the genius of uh, Jim Carrey's acting is, is the change in facial expression from what looks to be getting the message to absolutely missing the point altogether. And here, but here's why we played the video. Because, because he has faith... Everybody lives by faith, and he's placing his faith against all odds, against the odds of one in a million, and he's betting on that one, that one in a million chance you're saying there's a chance. And so so when we're talking today, our topic for our uh, Explore God Together, the topic is uh, does God exist? And we're we're not going to be looking at the different ways so much as how to look at the big questions of life. We have four big questions that we absolutely have to answer. And, and I, I want you to know that I'm not going to negotiate really on, on the different views themselves. I'll, I agree with most of, of the different perspectives. It's going to be, what are the odds? We're going to be just looking at what are the odds of one particular theory versus another particular theory. And, and hopefully rattling around in there is some in your mind is saying, so you're saying there's a chance. And at some point, hopefully you'll realize it's, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, you don't want to play Jim Carrey in life's ultimate questions. Okay. So my, here's, again, my perspective is this, that, you know, growing up and I studied uh, a fair amount of science and it had a, a view that there was no God necessary and, and they showed, you know, kind of how the things scientifically progressed and there was no debate about that. And it all makes sense to me. And then, and then after um, I studied some more, I realized, well, you know what? It's, it's interesting because a lot of that evidence also points from another perspective. It also points that there, there is a necessity of God. And so I, we have to put faith in one of these two views, either God caused all things into existence or, or not, that, that just time plus chance made everything exist and then get in order and then, and then have life caused in it and then, and then eventually even a soul, if you believe in a soul. 
but you, but you have to have faith in either one of those. And the faith, I hope, is, is based on statistical analysis of probability, okay? The science of probability. Because here's the thing. Every one of these, there's four topics, four absolute necessities that every single thinking person must negotiate. Okay, how did we get everything from nothing? How did it get in such fantastic order? How does life come from non-life? And how can a soul come from flesh? And, and you, you just have to, you have to work these ultimate issues out in your own mind and then, and then cling to those based on faith. Some are going to require more faith than others because some are, uh, have worse odds than others. So that's what we're going to look at today. How, or, or does God exist? And we're going to look at those four issues, and, and I'm going to be appealing not so much as to, I guess, the science of it, but rather the statistics of it, the odds of those things. Now, we'll start with how does something come from nothing, okay? Or even better, how does everything come from nothing? This is highly philosophical. It's not scientific. Our next point will be. But, you know, philosophically speaking, you have to answer the question, how did everything get here? And there in the universe, there's a lot of stuff, Okay, let me just say, just out, there's a lot of stuff here. And so you have to wonder, how, how did it get here? Now, one answer over the years has been that the universe has always existed. It's infinite. Now, there's two reasons why the universe can't be infinite. Okay, one, uh, one is scientific and one is logical. One, the scientific reason is because more and more science is proving that there is an absolute beginning to things. The Big Bang Theory is one of those theories right now, and, and more science is, is, is pointing towards that way. But another one that's rather devastating is, is that it's logically impossible for anything to be infinite. Now, this is going to make your head swim, but think infinite is not something real. It's supposed to be a joke when Buzz Lightyear says to infinity and beyond, there's no infinity. You can't go beyond that. There's no infinity in real life. Let me give you an example, okay? Okay, you're in line to see your favorite concert, okay? And you're traveling at 10 times the speed of light to get to your seat. So I'm giving you that. You're at, you're at warp 10, Scotty, okay? I know, I know what it can do to the engines, but we're going to do that anyway. And there's an infinite number of people in front of you to get to your seat. But you're going at warp 10. Will you ever get to your seat? No, because you have to go through an infinite number of people through the door. Okay, I'll, I'll give this to you. We'll take all the odd-numbered people out. That's, that's half of the people. I'll take all the prime numbers out. You know what? I'll take nine-tenths of the people out of the line. Now are you going to ever get to your seat at the concert that you've been waiting your whole life for? No, because there's still an infinite number of people in front of you. Infinite, it doesn't work in real life, it, 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 and so it certainly can't happen in this universe. And so there, okay? Okay, is it? Now... If you blacked out, I want you to come back to me. Come back. Come back. Follow my finger, okay? Because I'm going to go to some, the other part. This is cause, argument from causation or the first cause. This can be complicated. It won't be complicated, okay? Here's, here's the, how does everything get here? How do, how do we get everything from nothing, okay? It's an issue of what's called the first cause. Everything, everything that we see, touch, taste, where, everything in the universe is contingent on something else causing it. In other words, you can't see anything in the universe, or not see, but there's nothing in the universe that doesn't have a prior explanation of what caused that. And that's called a contingent being. It means it's contingent on something else causing it, and that thing caused it, and then that thing caused it. I call this the argument from a five-year-old, because a five-year-old 
will absolutely just perplex the best philosopher. Okay, so you're at a, tra- you're at a train crossing, okay, with your kids, and, and out of this tunnel comes a, 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 a train, and there's a thousand cars. Okay, you missed the first part. There's a thousand cars coming by. And the five-year-old says, hey, mom, where did that car come from? Well, it, in that car, and in that car, and that car, and that car, and that car, and that car. He's like, well, honey, all the cars are hooked together. See, they, the cars can't move by themselves. There's a car hooked to it, and it's pulling it. Oh, okay. Well, what's pulling that car? Well, the car in front of it is pulling that car. Oh, okay. What's pulling that car? Honey, the car in front of that is pulling that car. Oh, okay. So when you get to the front car, the front car is pulling all the cars? No. Because cars can't pull cars. They're contingent on a locomotive, something that's entirely different than cars. It is, it's different in kind, not in degree. It has an engine. It has the capability of pulling. It is the first cause that puts in a chain reaction all these other causes. And so it's, you need something, because we're all contingent, we need something outside of ourselves, outside of our universe, outside of time and space that can make the first thing happen. Because everything that's, that's in this universe is needing something to start it. Okay, okay part two. The five-year-old again. You've had this conversation. Daddy, where did I come from? What caused me? Well, your mom and dad uh, caused you. Oh, okay. What caused you, mom and dad? Well, you know, uh, poo-poo and papa or whatever. Whatever you name your grandparents, right? Selectively, well, or respectfully, we'll say grandma and grandpa, right? Well, what caused them? Well, great-grandma and great-pa. And so, again, you're in this, in this not infinite, you're in this, you're in this going backwards, all the way back to the Big Bang, and then, and, then, and then you say, what? You have two choices. That, what, energy caused itself to happen? Matter caused itself to happen? Energy and matter are contingent. They're just cars. They're not locomotives. So, so you have to end up in one of two categories. You have, one, you have to have faith that it just, everything came from nothing. There was nothing, then there was everything. Or... An, an uncaused cause made it happen. An unmoved mover, Aristotle called it. A supreme being that is outside of time because its time is created. It is outside of space because space is created. It is super intelligent because look at all that's going on that appears to be intelligent. And so you say, well, God, that we'll call that God, God made everything. And then your, what, your fifth grader, your five-year-old rather says, well, who made God? And you say, that's easy. Go ask your mom. So, now, the, the, the answer is everybody has to get to this what made whatever. So what made God? That's not an appropriate question because it's like it's the locomotive. It's not like a car. By definition, we have to have something that caused everything else, and that thing is not a created thing. It's always existed. It will forever exist. And that always existing forever thing is either intelligent, supremely powerful, outside of our universe and creation, or it's a contingent being somehow, and it just made itself happen. So you have to go with the odds that something caused itself to happen all by itself, whether it's energy or atoms or whatever it might be, matter, and that thing is there, or you think there's something else. That's philosophical. I'll leave that there for you. I know that's kind of head spinning. I'm going to go to science now. It's going to get easier, I promise. Okay, I have videos later. 
really fun videos. So come back, please. Come back. Second reason, the second thing you have to, once you get everything here, okay, the next question you have to ask is, what about this absolute fine-tuning that's going on here? In other things, okay, everything's here, but oh my goodness, the order, the, the perfect order that everything is in has to be explained. The universe is staggeringly intelligent by just observation, okay? Not just the things within themselves, but how the things cooperate with each other. In other words, not just, not just, uh, not just like, uh, like in a, a human body is a great example. Not, it's not just spellbinding how, how intricate and, and intelligent the eye is or any organ, but rather how all the organs work together is mesmerizing. So the things, the, the things themselves and, and how they work together has to be explained how it got in a perfect order. Now, the argument of fine-tuning, okay, is it looks like this. Here's a, here's a good definition. Fine-tuning rever, refers to the surprisingly uh, pre- precision of nature's physical constants and the beginning state of the universe. To explain the present state of the universe, even in basic scientific theories, they requires a physical constant of nature's and the beginning state of the universe to be extremely precise in their values. Okay? So, um, for all these things to be fine-tuned, first of all, something, it, everything has to be perfectly fine-tuned for three things to happen. One, for anything to exist at all. Okay? Two, for, like the, the, for life to exist. And they have to be exceptionally fine-tuned for the life as we know it to exist. So when I say life to exist, I'm talking about a single-cell animal or, or you know, like thing, right? Single-celled creature, right? So, so let me just give you an idea that there are 30 separate cosmological and physical constants that have to be lined up perfectly. Now, there are 30 of them all by themselves will drive you nuts, but all 30 have to be perfect. If one of the 30 is out of sync, nothing exists, no life exists, and no life as we know it exists. 30. We're not going to look at 30, I promise. We're going to look at three. I want you to see that there are three cosmological, right, uh, precise elements that have to line. These are just three that must line up for something to exist in order and for life to exist in life as we know it. Okay. And, and again, this is not up for debate. This is what is agreed upon by most science uh, and scientific communities. It is the odds of these things coming into existence by themselves that we're going to be looking at. Okay. So we're not really really arguing what they, what they are, but rather what the odds are. Now, to help me try to explain what the odds are, it's very difficult where there's all these zeros. I've appealed to a, a great book that was turned into a video by Lee Strobel. He's an investigative reporter, and he did a book called A Case for Creation. So you can see this online. There's some great YouTube videos of this, and then the book itself as well. So here's our first of three of 30. Here's the first one I want us to look at, okay? Just the existence of gravity in the universe, if gravity does not exist, nothing happens. Okay? Not, not just life, but nothing happens. And it's not that gravity exists. I'm telling you the exact precision of what our gravitational uh, equation is on our dial must be perfect. I mean, when I say perfect, I mean absolutely perfect. What are the odds? What are the odds of the gravitational setting for, for the universe to exist? Watch this video. Thank you. 
Strobel learned that life also hinges on the precise strengths and relative values of many different physical constants. One example of this fine-tuning is the force of gravity. Imagine a ruler divided up into one-inch increments and then stretched across the entire universe, a distance of some 14 billion light-years. For the purposes of illustration, the ruler represents the possible range for gravity. In other words, the setting for the strength of gravity could have been anywhere along the ruler, but it just happens to be situated in exactly the right place so that life is possible. Now, if you were to change the force of gravity by moving the setting just one inch compared to the entire width of the universe, the effect on life would be catastrophic. No large-scale life forms could exist. Anything that was more than the size of a pea would be completely crushed. So you might be able to get life of a very, very primitive sort, such as bacteria, but you could never get conscious observers. Those are, so you're saying I have a chance. Um, okay, a second, besides gravity, there's a thing called a cosmological constant. Now, a cosmological constant is the energy in the vacuum of space. And what it, what it, what it regulates is, right, we, we believe that the universe is expanding. And it's expanding at a, an extreme rate. But listen, the rate isn't, isn't open to variability, if it expands too fast, nothing exists. If it expands too slow, life cannot exist. So when you're dialing just the second dial to make sure that it is exactly right in the cosmological constant, if that deviates just a little bit, life can't exist. So what are the odds that the dial called cosmological constant is at the right level? Watch this video. The strength of gravity is just one of at least 30 separate parameters that must be finely tuned to produce a life-sustaining universe. Another example is the cosmological constant. The cosmological constant describes the expansion speed of space in the universe. If space expands too quickly, then the universe will spread out so quickly that material objects can't form. So you can't get stars and galaxies and planets and the types of things that we, of course, take for granted in our universe. Physicists have determined that the cosmological constant is fine-tuned to one part in a hundred million billion 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 billion. Such precision has been compared to traveling hundreds of miles into space, then throwing a dart at the Earth and hitting a bullseye measuring one trillionth of a trillionth of an inch in diameter, an area less than the width of a single atom. Just consider those two parameters, gravity and the cosmological constant. Their level of fine-tuning is to a precision of one part in a hundred million trillion 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 trillion. I mean, that's like one atom in the entire known universe. Okay, we're not arguing whether that's, that's true in the universe. We're arguing what the issue is, is what are the odds. And, the, and these, this cosmological constant, uh, just all by itself, not the other 29 and not gravity, when just that uh, quotient is, is explained, I mean, famously outspoken Nobel Prize winning uh, physicist, um, he's a famous atheist anyway, his name is Steven Weinberg, he, he writes this, I love his, he's rather clever, the cosmological constant is remarkably well adjusted in our favor. <laughs> remarkably.
well-adjusted, all, all by itself. So let's um, leave the telescopes alone for a while. Let's look at the microscope and let's look at subatomic particles. And we're talking about now the energy within subatomic particles that hold them together. Again, you dial that a little bit too much to the right, everything explodes. You dial it too much to the left, it implodes on itself. And atoms can't hold themselves together. So, I mean, what are the odds that that thing is dialed just perfectly to hold the subatomic energy together? Let's look at that. This fine-tuning is also evident at the atomic level. The strong nuclear force binds atoms together. If the strength of this force were to decrease by one part in 10,000 billion, 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 the only element left in the universe would be hydrogen. Again, chemical life would not be possible. Okay, so that's the, I'm sorry, but the, that's all the videos I have for you today. Uh, but they are fascinating. I mean, again, just looking at the precision of of not how we know creation is, but rather uh, that it, that is so so finely tuned. Famous one of the world's most famous atheist was Anthony Flew. Now he spent forty fifty years writing about his atheism. Famous philosopher, and and because he lived long enough in, into the twenty first century, he was able to see what we can see now with microscopes and telescopes. And then he became a, a, a theist. He became a person that believes in God's creation because, in his words, I had to follow the evidence to where it led. He said there's just not enough time or, or chance to cause all the, just these parameters. He was talking about the cosmological constant, but all these parameters to get so finely tuned. Um, if, I saw this on the Internet last week. You might have seen it too. Uh, it's, the, the person is tongue-in-cheek saying, as a believer in the law of, what's it, law of infinite probability, I'm hoping that this will happen when I open my dryer. And that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's how my children do the laundry. They're hoping in infinite probability that everything's going to be folded. It's, it's supposed to be funny because it's not going to happen no matter how much time is given. So anyway, we looked at philosophically the first cause argument. We looked at what's called the design argument um, or what's now called the fine-tuning argument. Now what I'd like to look at is life from non-life. Okay, one of the problems that we have is you can have this whole universe get all started and and everything's running, but life from non-life is very problematic because, because before there's even, right, again, single-cell amoebas running around, right? That's life. That's still life. You, from nothing, from non-life, let's say from death, I mean, that's not true I mean, uh, use of words, but from, from nothing of life comes, comes life. And then macro evolves all the way to what? Dinosaurs and dandelions and, and Einsteins and Beethovens, okay? But that first is, I mean, there's, I think there's seven theories on how life can get started from non-life. A lightning bolt hits a puddle, right, or some sort of volcanic issue, and now they're saying 300 feet of ice before, before the sun got as hot as it was. There's a, uh, a molten kind of a undersea thing that goes on. And, and one of the newer theories out right now is, is that we receive life from outer space. Now, I know, right, it, going back to that first cause, what... Where'd that life come from? That's just one question. Where did that life come from? But here's, here's an important thing to consider. The reason now some scientists are considering life from outer space, from other sources, is because the probability of life from non-life on this planet is so remote. 
it is, it, it is so far beyond, you know, our ability to imagine all the zeros, uh, one in whatever, that we're saying, well, it must have happened from uh, some outside source. Well, I have, I mean, our appeal here is there is an outside source, right? And the outside source is, is, is God. So again, believing in the doctrine of, of infinite probability, the view of life from non-life is opening your dryer and then seeing this, right? There's, now there's a child in there. It's not one of our family photos, I assure you. Um, so let me just review the four, the four issues that you have to answer. You have to answer these questions. One, how does everything get here? Everything from nothing. How does that start? What's the first cause, right? And then how does it get in such absolute perfect order with all the variables and the constants lining up, well, perfectly? Third, how does life come from non-life? And then fourth and finally, how do you get a soul? How do you get a soul from flesh? And the, the soul is, is a, you know, is that thought of, self-actual, of, of self-acknowledgement, I think, therefore, I am. I, we talked about that with the purpose of life in that, whole, in that whole lesson together, right? We talked about how can I be conscious of my of life? How can, it's not, chemi- you can't explain chemically. You know, love and, and grief and death. Sure, I, there's no doubt in my mind you could show there's chemicals firing, but these are not issues of the brain. They're issues of the mind. We are absolutely enthralled with death as human beings, because we have a soul, because there's something more to us. And so there, we, we look at death and we, we hate it because it seems like it's the ultimate bully that always gets the last punch and, and no one can have an answer to it. We fight it with our, our science to keep us alive. And then, and then there's this other part of us that says it's a mystery, right? Hamlet, it's the great unknown, right? And, and we, we ponder what it must be like to be on the other side. And then there's a part of us that, that that we feel like death is a blessing. Thank death we don't have to live forever. How many science fiction movies have you seen where somebody is cursed with immortality? It sounds like a great thing until someone gets it. And then they'll spend their eternal lives trying to end their lives. And where where does this come from? It's not chemical. There's something more to it. A a famous Darwinian writes this. It's a rather long quote. This is not C.S. Lewis, but it sounds like him, doesn't it? And so this is Michael Roos. He's a famous uh, Darwinian philosopher. He says, why should, why should a bunch of atoms have thinking ability? Why should I, even as I write now, be able to reflect on what I'm doing and why should you, even as you're reading it, be able to ponder my points, agree or disagree, with pleasure or with pain, deciding to refute me or to decide that I'm just not worth the effort? No one, certainly not the Darwinian as such, seems to have any answer to this. The point is, there is no scientific evidence for what? For, for the ability to reflect. Those are soulish issues. And even near-death experiences and those, those, um, those stories of people that have dead brains but can still see, they can still see and hear and taste and smell, that has explaining to do. It's non-scientific because the science is there's a dead brain here. Listen... You, you have to have faith. The theme of today's lesson is this. You have to have faith. Everyone lives by faith. If you weren't there at the beginning of the universe, you have to trust in some sort of theory that life came from, 
or everything came from nothing. It just, it, just, it just happened. There was nothing, and now there's everything. And then you have to have faith that because of random chance, it, everything got in fabulous and spectacular, indefinable order that would cause the universe to exist and not just not exist, and then that life could be happening. And you have, then you have to explain by faith that life just happened by a lightning bolt or out of a chunk of clay, and then you have to explain the soul. Now, people that are believers in God say that there's, there's a superintelligent being that is outside this created universe. He is beyond time. He created time. He's beyond space. He's not bound by space. He's spirit. And by definition, by induction, rather, you know, you, you, you realize he has to be unimaginably powerful to create all the power in the universe. He has to be indefinably intelligent because of all the precision that's required. He, he, he must have attributes that are, that are listed. And, and when the Bible says you have to live by faith in these things, it says this in Hebrews 11.3. It says, it is by faith that we understand that the universe was formed by God's command. He just said so. So that what is seen is not made out of what was, in, what was visible. Because everything visible is contingent, right? And that's the first cause argument. You have to believe. This is what I'm asking you to believe. I'm not asking you to believe in seven 24-hour days and it happened just like this, okay? That's not what the Bible required. The hows of creation is not what the Bible requires when you're getting in the door. The Bible requires that you believe in a supreme God that created all things out of nothing, You might have heard the term ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God made everything and then put it in order and then caused life and then then planted in that life a soul, and he was in the image of God. That's what you believe. If that's what we're doing today, and 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 the question really is, what are the odds? What are the odds? What are the chances that everything happened out of luck, that contingent beings came into existence, got in order, caused life, and if you believe in a soul, had one of those added to it on top, what are the odds? So you're saying, I have a chance. Or do you believe that God, some superintelligent life that explains everything else does? It, here's the application for today, by the way, just choosing one of those two. You have to choose one or the other. You really do. There's only two answers. But here's the thing. I, I know this happens. It feels like this sometimes because the crazy people always get on TV. But if you believe in God, it doesn't mean that you, you're abdicating research and science and you know, inquisitions, you know, just being in, it, it means, it means, no, no, no. The greatest scientists in the world, uh, if you look at history, have been extremely dedicated followers to, of, of Jesus Christ. And, and that gives you a license to do this because the Bible says that all of creation exposes the grandeur of God. In other words, you know God by the Bible and by nature. I can't remember which, uh, you know, one of the founding fathers of science said God wrote two books, the book of nature and, uh, and book of creation and the book of, of the law, of the law, the, the Bible. And he loves studying both of them. So my, honestly, uh, my encouragement to everyone here is to study God. Uh, I think last year we all took kind of a self-evaluation of who we are and how God made us and how we can know God better. And, and a, a majority of people in this audience said the way they know God is through nature. 
And I, I, I hope, I think it's because, you know, we live in the city and we don't get out much. And when we do, we just really enjoy the presence of God. And so here's the thing. Study God by studying nature. Study his divine attributes by looking at what's going on. Now, the temptation, it happens a lot. The temptation is the more glorious place you go, the more likely you are to want to worship that thing instead of what created it. But that's probably not a a threat here um, in this audience. But listen, you know what? You want to know about God's power and you're questioning that because you're going through some difficult times of sorrow and stuff, right? I mean, you could could, listen listen to the roar of Niagara. And you won't have doubts about God's power. You know, study God's stars. Go to nasa.gov and see what's out there beyond our vision. You know, go to the Big Bend or go to the country, our youth group. We go out to the country, go to Hunt, Texas, one of the prettiest parts of this state anyway, so they can see the Milky Way, so they can see God and see his power and his splendor. You want to see his joy? Just listen to the birds. They're, they're saying that God is fun, that he, he, he's happy. He dances. You want to think that, wonder if God has a sense of humor. Boy, I'd love to be able to do this to a young child. It's, it's better than that introduction. Anyway, uh, cover their eyes and have them with a duckbill platypus and just feel it. I'm, I'm going to the senses of feeling. Feel the duckbill platypus and describe. I love that animal because I call it the animal of spare parts. You know, it's just like, what do we got left? I got a, I got a bill over here. I got a beaver tail. I got some fur. Throw it together. Duckbill platypus. Oh, the ostrich. I mean, can you imagine what, what that must be like to a foreigner? Somebody comes in and looks at this and says, okay, that's funny, God. Now, okay, you stop that. But the thing that you must, the, the thing that you must admire in God and worship him for that is his extravagance. His extravagance. If he just made one flower, we would still be enthralled with it, but he didn't make one flower. If he made one bird, we would be overwhelmed, but he didn't make one bird. He, he overpays. He overspends. He overcolors. And every one of our senses that I believe God gave us and he made us, he created us to have these senses, are pointing towards his attributes that cause us to fall down on our face and say, Oh, God. Oh, God. And we just want to worship him. I know there's, the, the closer you get to this, you know, this threshold of understanding his greatness and vastness, you're, the question on your mind is how could we ever know him? Why would he care to know us? Right. And that's for a couple weeks ahead. We've got to answer the question about the problem of evil so that we can move past our fear. But friends... Nature, creation, microscopes, telescopes, mowing the backyard, all of that is pointing to the grandeur of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God, and worship all by itself is application enough. That is appropriate, and it should be done, and it probably should be done more often. I hope you believe that God is the creator of all things, and he made it out of nothing. Could you, for just this time... We usually sing together our offertory song. Could you just enjoy this offertory song that we sing? You know, don't sing along. Don't get out of your chairs. And, and we just wanted to present something to you that would stimulate your ears and your eyes and your sense of wonder. Dear Heavenly Father, um, uh, we, believe, we believe that the heavens and earth were all created. And they were created um, to point to you. They were, they were pointed 
towards these aspects of who you are that we might desire those things and desire knowing you. The universe is personal, and we want to know the personal creator. The universe is expansive, and we want to get a taste of what that means. It is, you are so much bigger and greater and beyond our possible conception of what could be. And so, Lord, we worship you with song and with our minds that you made, the minds that are, that are everlasting and that will spend eternity with you. We give you our heart, our minds, our souls, our strength for you to enjoy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour, pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. May God bless you and keep you this week. And as you move, remember to take courage and comfort from the first cause. God bless you, Grace. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.